Well, as Ernie Harwell once said, it's two for the price of one. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a double, but not actually a double episode of Championship or Bust with Max, Zach, and Josh. Welcome to 1908, the year of the curse. The Cubs win 4-1. to one. They play against the Tigers again. And we got a while until we're going to be talking about Chicago again. So let's get started. Zach, hit us with the summaries. Oh, yeah. You know, very interesting World Series. Another stinker. This was the least attended World Series in history. Uh, another rematch here, the Chicago Cubs and Detroit Tigers. Tigers did end up scoring as many runs as they did in the last series, in the first game this time, in a total of six runs in game one, but they ended up losing. They actually only won game three, and the Cubs kept this really nice and short, trounced them in um, five games. The one thing that annoys me is the idea that, I think it was 6,000 people attended this World Series? Yep. And it was probably, you know, pennies to a nickel to get in a piece. Going for the players now to try to see players play, you know, I'm going to see Justin Verlander tomorrow for the first time. He'll, he's like the really last great baseball player I got to see. I could have saw Ty Cobb. All those empty seats. <laughs> it just drives me nuts thinking about that. That's like, so funny. I could have saw Tinker Stavros a chance. Could have saw Mordecai Brown in two of those games. Probably for pennies on the dollar. And now that's all dead. I mean, well, I've seen Verlander for free tomorrow, but that's beside the point. You know what? I mean, these fans were pretty much like the A's, you know. They're just boycotting going. Apparently, there was some sort of ticket scalping scheme going on. Yeah, the owner was the club's in. Yeah, so you know they they boycotted. That's why they that or that's the claim to why the attendance was low. But I don't think it would have been much higher either way. Exactly, not very entertaining by any means. And we'll move on to Josh to talk about one of the biggest blunders in the history of baseball. Yeah, tell so. us the name of it, Sherm. <laughs> Merkel's boner, baby. Merkel's boner. Merkel's boner. Yeah. So, you know, the Cubs pretty much, you know, the, the year before in 1907, they totally just wiped the floor with everybody in the National League and went right, won the pennant, went right to the World Series. Well, this year was a little bit different. It was basically a, a three-way race between the Cubs, the New York Giants, and the Pittsburgh Pirates. And they were pretty much all in it down to the last few games. Um, and... This one was historically decided by Merkel's boner. So in late <laughs> September, the Cubs and the Giants were playing a game at the Polo Grounds, and the game was tied in the ninth inning. The Giants had first and third, two outs. And 19-year-old Fred Merkel just singled, and he was a runner on first base. This was his first ever major league start, and he hadn't played most of the season. He ended up missing most of July and August because – he had two foot surgeries because he had a blood infection in his foot. And he almost lost it. Ew. So he wasn't even supposed to play. The guy that was supposed to be playing was sick that morning. So he ended up slotting in for his first start at first base. So at first and third, two outs, tie game. The next batter up, hits a single in the center field. Runner comes in from third, scores. You know, the, the batter goes to first. He touches the bag. And as this happens... You know, the fans erupt, and they're streaming out of the stands and running onto the field. And as this happens, Merkel is like halfway to second base, turns around, goes back in the dugout. Game over. We won. Well, the Cubs' second baseman realizes this, and they go to get the ball. And, you know, this isn't confirmed, but this is the story of how they say it plays out. No one's really sure what happened, but, you know, they say that the ball is thrown in from center field, and, Somehow, uh, a Giants pitcher that was coaching first base at the time, you know, chucked the ball into the stands. So one of the Cubs pitchers went into the stands and got the ball from a fan and threw it back to second base where they they touched the bag and, and you know the umpires they conferred and they determined that uh, you know he never touched second base. It's an out. It's a tie game. They got to keep playing. And wow. they ended up calling the game at that point because they couldn't. Well, A, they couldn't get the fans back into the, into the stands. <laughs> and B, it was, you know, dark because, you know, they don't play at night at, at that time. Um, so the game ended up just being cold as a tie. And, you know, as the season went on, uh, the Giants and the Cubs ended up finishing with a tie record. So a couple of days after the season ended, the, uh, the National League Board of Directors, along with the umpires and the league president, made a final rule that, yes, Merkel never touched second. Yes, it's an out. You know, the rule is correctly applied, and they replayed the game. The Cubs ended up winning, and they won the pennant. They said that this was, at the time, the most attended game ever with 40,000 fans. Wow. 
40,000? That's a 40, lot back then. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know what? Merkel admitted about five years later that he never touched second best. Oh, there you go. Yep. <laughs> it's funny because I, I don't mean to change subjects too quickly here, but I know we're talking later about you know some of the biggest errors. But there's one thing that immediately stuck out. Do you guys know the band on the field play from college football? No. no. It reminds me so much of that. It's 1982 rivalry game. It was a regular season game, but it was basically the rivalry and everyone like they called it the big game between Stanford and California. And neither team was that good. Stanford was five and five. California was six and four. They both were uh, really mediocre teams. Those are bad records in college football. But Stanford took a 2019 lead. The Golden Bears of California had five laterals on the kickoff return in the final seconds. They wound up scoring the touchdown because thinking the game was over, the Stanford band came on the field midway through the kick return. <laughs> oh, my God. So the band ran on the field, and it's still a video. like You can find it. But the band ran on the field thinking that the game was over, and there's still disagreement whether or not two of the uh, laterals were actually legal. But they wound up scoring off of it because a couple of the band members got trampled. <laughs> oh I mean, like, God. actually marked in this game. <laughs> so it just added to tradition. A lot more people were in attendance there. It was like 75,000. But, you know, it was it was more modern, obviously. But it just immediately came to mind of, like, people just prematurely thinking that the game was over and, you know, the whole game spinning because of it. So Why I was just kind of yeah. talking in my head. Why was that such a thing back then? Like, even it was a thing until what, like the seventies, right? I mean, when the team won like the big game of the World Series, you'd always see the old videos of the fans jumping in the stands. I don't know why that was. I guess security wasn't an issue back then. So, well, it happened to Chris Chambliss, but that wasn't even the World Series. Yeah, weird to think about. That was in the uh, LCS at the time, which I'm sure we'll get to in a while. Mm -hmm. Many, many episodes from now. <laughs> But yeah, sorry to change the subject. I just thought that that immediately came in my head as Josh was talking about it. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. So we'll move on to the Hall of Famer segment, and we have the same six Hall of Famers that we had last time: Ty Cobb, Sam Crawford, Joe Tinker, Johnny Evers, Frank Chance, Mordecai Three Finger Brown. Uh, I realized last time from 1907 that we didn't really discuss the managers. Frank Chance was actually a player and a manager for the Cubs, but Huey Jennings was a Hall of Famer and a manager for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, he was elected in 1945 and had a 1,184 and 995 career record, but he was actually inducted as a player. Uh, he had a 312 career batting average and holds the all-time record in hit by pitches with 287. Now I'm going to let you guys guess who's second. Now he was a modernish player. He played during our childhood and he's in the hall of fame. Who do you think? -ish he has two less time. hit by pitches. He has 285. Hit by pitches? Yep. Oh. He's from our childhood. You know who he is. I, I was, was going to say Utley until you said he's in the Hall of Fame. Same <laughs> position. I know he's up there. Second Same position. Ian Kinsler? Huh? Ian Kinsler? No. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, that's I right. I don't know that. anyone who's like known Second Same as Ian Kinsler. He mainly played in. Same position as Utley. You're, you're red hot. A second baseman in our childhood that's in the Hall of Fame. And played in the same state as Ian Kinsler's main part of his career. Detroit or Texas? Texas. At second base? Yeah. Why am I blanking on this? 3,000 hits. A Biggio? Craig Biggio. Bang. Oh. Bang. Wow. So going back to Huey Jennings, so he had two more hit by pitches and Biggio almost broke it. But the weird thing about him was that he played one game in 1907, two games in 1909, <laughs> one game in 1910, one game in 1912, and one game in 1918. He did not play in 1908, but he played one, three, four, five, six games from 1907 to 1918. Wow. Um, What's with the one game? He just decided he wanted to suit up? <laughs> it's weird because there was a thing with Minnie Minoso too, which I'm sure we'll cover later on, but uh, after he – you know, had most of his career at the White Sox, there was one time where he came back for, like, a game. It was mainly for promotion, so I wonder if that's what it was. Yeah. But he got beamed in the head at one point and was unconscious for three days. 
And after the 1925 season, he was a coach at this point. He had a nervous breakdown after the season. He was unable to report to spring training, and that ended his baseball career. Oh, my God. Made the Hall of Fame in 1945. This is hysterical. He had an interesting life. It's bad. Yeah, he had, he had some life. <laughs> uh, but I, I figured I had to acknowledge it because I was looking, and I realized that we completely earned by missing on the managers last time. And I, I can't believe that I missed the opportunity to talk about Huey Jennings. But he was the first man to ever be ejected. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In a World Series. In a World Series. In a World Series. Yup. Uh, so, on to the players. Just from, I'm not going to go through the career numbers because everyone knows them at this point. But Ty Cobb hit 368 in the series, went 7 for 19 with a double. Sam Crawford went 5 for 21. He struggled. Oof. 238 average. One double, one RBI. Uh, for the World Champion Cubs, Joe Tinker and Johnny Evers. Actually, Tinker, Evers, and Chance actually played pretty well. Tinker hit 5 for 19, 263 average, which was better than what he normally did. Uh, one home run. Johnny Evers, 7 for 20, 350 average, two RBIs. Frank Chance, 8 for 19, so 421 average, uh, four stolen bases. And King, three-finger Brown, 2-0, no, no earned runs. He did give up one unearned run. Five strikeouts, one walk. So pretty solid series from the entire legendary Cub guys. Yeah. Uh, but moving, kind of going into those Cubs with the three, I know we talked about it a little bit with Baseball Sad Lexicon, and I'll read it again, the poem that put Tinker's Evers and Chance in baseball folklore forever. Uh, these are the saddest of three words. Sorry, these are the saddest of possible words. Tinker to Evers to Chance. Trio of bear cubs and fleeter than birds. Tinkers and Evers and Chance. Ruthlessly pricking our gonfalon bubble. Making a giant hit into a double. Words that are heavy with nothing but trouble. Tinker to Evers to Chance. And reading it, it made me think about who the most, I guess for lack of a better term, the most connected teammates are throughout. And I guess we'll stick to really baseball with this because there's probably tons of examples throughout sports. Like obviously we could go to Sedin Twins. You know, we could go with Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, or um, any football quarterback to receiver. But in baseball sense, what teammates do you think are kind of forever going to be linked? And it might, just the idea of being connected to one another adds to their legacy. Uh, well, my mind immediately goes to the recent Astros dynasty. I know Correa isn't there anymore, but it was Bregman, Correa, Altuve, those guys. What, they went to the World Series, what, four, five, five times? They won twice. Um, and as Yankee fans, we're never not going to think about the core four. So those are just the two obvious things that came to my head. Yeah, yeah, I was, was going to say core four too. I mean, you know, as far as hockey goes, the first that comes to my mind is Crosby and Malkin. That's a good pick. Ovi and Kuzi. Mm, no, I would not pick that. I definitely would not pick that. I'm sorry. The word, the first word that comes to my mind when we think of Altuve is not anything nice. So. Well, <laughs> I would not have thought that, but that was a good pick. Um, but yeah, I definitely can see where you're coming from. I actually had five. I I ranked them one to five, and I actually didn't pick the Astros. Does anyone have any before I go with these? Uh, you put me on the spot here. Think about Wainwright, Yachty, Pujols. That was, was my number five. Yeah, that was my number five. Yep, because especially since it's so relevant now. And I think Yadier Molina's legacy will be added to because, you know, he was the intangible catcher. So being on a team that won a lot really helped him there. Uh, I think he's a hall of famer. I think he deserves to be a hall of famer. It's going to be a little while before he gets in. He's not going to be the first ballot in my opinion that a lot of people seem to think he is. And Adam Wainwright, I think actually will have a solid chance to get in through the veterans committee one day uh, because really? we'll be very well connected. If Tony La Russa stays alive for a while and stays involved in baseball, he's very good at selling his guys. And I think that that could help. Like he helped get Bar Harold Baines in. And I think he's the type that when he likes you, when he wants to help push you in, he, he will. And now he has Scott Rowland in who might sit on a, on a committee. Eh. He played 20 years he's very well liked and he had a really solid peak i don't think he belongs in but i don't think he would lower the bar that much either so i i can see that kind of helping boost his legacy just being connected to those two 
All right, um, I, got, I got I got two, and then, then I gave you some time to think. Go ahead. Two hockey ones. We got um, Kane and Taves. That's a good pick. Oh yeah. And um, as an Islander fan, I'd be amiss if I didn't say Boston and Toronto. As long as you add Gillies in there as well and Billy Smith, yeah. Well, I, I, I wouldn't add Billy Smith into that, and, and I'm hesitant to add Gillies. But uh, I mean, if you're talking about duos specifically, Boston and Trache are one of the best ever. So I'll go number four here. Number four, uh, this one's for Zach's dad. Uh, <laughs> who's listening. Uh, Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I was thinking now, about the Tigers, to too. Because the two of them probably are not on their own merits besides Sabermetrics, Hall of Famers. Yeah. Alan Trammell came in and Lou Whitaker. It almost, even as someone who doesn't, I'm one of the few now who follow the Hall of Fame that think Lou Whitaker is probably just short. But I, it feels weird to have Trammell in and not Whitaker now. I, I can't explain it. I it feels weird to have Trammell in at all. Thank you, I Josh. agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that wholeheartedly, but if he's in, it just feels odd to have him out. It, I don't. I can't explain it. I don't know why. I knew you were going to bring up the Tigers. <laughs> uh, number three, I have two Yankee pairs. Well, one's a trio, one's a pair, and I couldn't figure out which one to go with here. Uh, so I have Mantle, DiMaggio, Berra. Actually, I have three Yankee pairs. That's the first one. Mm. That's the trio. I have Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig. Yep. And then I have the core four. And I would, I was actually considering putting Jeter and A Rod in there just for opposite reasons, because they, you know, obviously that was a very interesting story there. I really couldn't figure out where to go there, and I didn't want to do too many Yankees because I felt like that would just be complete bias, and you know, our five listeners aren't going to want to hear Yankees all yeah. the time. So I figured I would try to diversify a little bit. But my number three is just the Yankees, <laughs> different eras in general. <laughs> Uh, number two, I did Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, and Tom Glavin. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. Like, Should have about that. Very underwhelming uh, run, if you really think about it. But they won the division for a really long time. The, the three of them were dominant. It wasn't their fault. Uh, John Smoltz, I want to acknowledge, because he was the guy who was willing to sacrifice the individual numbers. He went to the bullpen for years, and he still got 3,000 strikeouts. So this is incredible. All three of them. First ballot Hall of Famers and deservingly so. And my last one, anyone have an idea? Uh, give me the team. It'll give it away. I will it. Um, what's the era? 40s to 50s. 40s. Oh, boy. See, it was the first one that came to mind. The first one that came to mind. Hmm. I don't know. I don't want to say Tris Speaker and Jackie, but that would be terrible. <laughs> That's wrong. No. You got one right. Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese. Oh. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. It felt easy. Um, both great players, obviously, but that was so important to the game of baseball. Yeah. And I think that, that immediately stood out. So that's a no-brainer there. No real uh, – reason to fully elaborate because I feel like it's blatantly obvious, but we're going to the four, you know, that'll be something we discuss in the 55 World Series especially. Um, and we'll move forward because, you know, I'd be amiss if I didn't talk about uh, anything related to Merkel's boner. So, um, <laughs> top errors in sports, in playoff sports or anything that involves playoff implications. So it's got to be something important, which I was outvoted on. I they wanted to do playoffs. I said no. I'm doing something that I want to do. <laughs> well, and listen, we we could be here all week talking about you know big blunders and errors yeah. in sports, but yes. But if I have a chance to go at Matt Dodge, I will. And here's here we go. Let me set the scene for you, boys. Oh, all right, God. December nineteenth, two thousand ten, week fifteen of the twenty ten NFL season. The Giants are nine and three. The Eagles are eight and four. I'm eleven years old. <laughs> so so good sixth grade crucial game for the playoff picture right that was for josh so that it made it important for him <laughs> there's eight minutes and 17 seconds left on third down and four from the eagles eight yard line eli manning hits tight end kevin boss in the back of the end zone gives the giants 31 to 10 lead some dumb clown uh -oh. pa announcer I do not know who it was. He plays Eye of the Tiger. 
Now, the reason why that's significant is because that was the Eagles hype song that year. He did it to make fun of them because the Eagle, the Giants were up by 21 with eight minutes left, thinking it was over, and the Giants are going to be up two games on them now with two left to play. Well, within those eight minutes, the Eagles scored three unanswered touchdowns. Tie game. Wow. 14 seconds left in a tie game. Giants have the ball, but they're punting it away. Future Hall of Fame coach, my lord and savior, Mr. Tom Coughlin. He gives one simple instruction to punter Matt Dodge. Kick it out of bounds. Do not let Deshaun Jackson touch that ball. Long snapper Zach Diossi sends a little bit of a high snap, and Dodge just decides to completely defecate in his pants. <laughs> not literally, but it would have been a lot better if that was what he actually did. Well, he kicks it direct. He punts it. Sorry, he punts it directly to Deshaun Jackson, and he runs it all the way. Yeah. Now this is disgusting on its own, right? And it's important enough because the Giants were in the playoff. Yo, know, we're set up for the playoffs, and then they were tied. Here's the problem: both teams. So this made both teams nine and four. Three games left to play. Both teams finished ten and six. So. Because of that, the NFL has a tiebreaker based on head-to-head record. The Eagles won the other game. Since both teams finished 10-6, the Eagles win the tiebreaker, and they go to the playoffs, and the Giants miss the playoffs that year. So not only does it justify my claim that this game was important enough to mention here, it also it justifies is, it my is. claims for years that kickers and punters should not be in football. <laughs> Thank you. There's just no place for them at all? Zero? There's no place. No. If you go for it on fourth down, but sorry, if you get to fourth down and you're at your own 10, uh-huh. you better convert. <laughs> I stand by that. I wish we did a football pod because I would be on that all every anytime a kicker messed up or a punter messed up, I would be on that like postage. The, we can talk I'll about the double doink do if you want to. Oh, man. Double doink is actually a really good one. I didn't think of that. Cody Parkey. No, yes. missing all the kicks. I, uh, uh, I'm surprised talking about talking about the Giants. You didn't you didn't pick about wide right. <laughs> I thought about wide right. The problem is it was actually the one time I'll defend a kicker. It's 47 yard shot. He's on grass, which statistically was not his area. I believe he was outdoors in the middle of February. So like 47 yards is a lot, and. I think there was like a stat where I think it was Mar- Marv Levy was the coach of the Bills for all four of their Super Bowl runs. But it wound up, he was like under 50% in that area on grass. So it was a tough kick as it was. It was nowhere near a gimme. And I thought that there were too many gimmies here to really pick that one. That's just me. I don't really consider it an error. I just consider it more an unfortunate play. I actually feel really bad for Scott Norwood. Which is crazy for me, considering. Well, this is an error. This is blunders. I consider that a blunder. I guess I just, I, I it's like missing on a, it's like missing on. I won't say a hail mary because a forty-seven yarder typically they should hit, but I consider it more, you know, throwing an in, a slight overthrow on a twenty-yard pass. It's I a mean, blunder, we have Daniel Jones, but, so we know what that looks like. Oh, right, yeah. it's a blunder, <laughs> but. I, it, I think it's more forgivable. Uh, what what did that what did that one that one you know that Twitch streamer is really famous with the blue hair talk about? Didn't he say something controversial like you know if a kicker misses should they just go get somebody else because there's a thousand kickers across the country that could do that like you suck. <laughs> what happened? The Bills immediately people lost their minds. That's funny. <laughs> and I remember a former Giant kicker was brought into the training camp, but he failed to get people excited. So they wound up keeping him on the roster, Norwood. So wow. after they actively search for a replacement, it's like, yeah, you can come back. Yeah, you could stay. No worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing, and I feel like he was unfairly scapegoated. During his career, he was one for five for field goal attempts of more than 40 yards on grass. Wow. He was not ex- – he shouldn't have been expected. Like, it's one of those things like when they trot a guy out to hit a 66-yarder. If he does it, great. But – I think there should have been a different uh, clock management thing there. And I haven't watched enough of that Super Bowl to really like examine it. I get why you would, but you have Jim Kelly and you have Thurman Thomas and you have Andre Reed. And I believe you had Don Beebe on that squad as well. Like your offense was good enough 
James Lofton. Like, how do you not just go for it at that point? Try to get another one. I don't know what their timeout situation was, but I would. You know, you're thinking you're at the 30 yard line for a 47 yard attempt. Like, I should have taken a shot. But that's just me. <laughs> that's why I'm not a coach. Because I'm sure a lot of people are going, you know, punching the air right now. You wouldn't let your kickers play if you were a football coach. <laughs> no, I would let them play, but like I would try to arrange the rules so that like you'd have to go. For, uh, go what's more entertaining, going for it on fourth down or oh, seeing yeah. guys run three steps and kick a field goal? Like honestly, the way the league is going now, they might at some point, if you're going to go punt, they might just give the other team the ball sixty yards or fifty yards the other way, and then just start to drive from there. You're right. It'll prevent injuries. It's for player safety. Let's get rid of kickers and punters. Maybe the, X- so right. the XFL should try it. Call the Rock. Yeah, you know, I just proved this point. <laughs> the XFL did that, actually. Instead of a coin toss, They like when the XFL first came out, they rolled the ball out, and whoever got it, you oh, got it. had two guys running oh, at it. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't know if you were playing rugby. Yeah. And they, they, they couldn't take Super Bowl due to copyright or anything similar, so they just called it the big game at the end of the season. The big game. <laughs> They could have just come up with their own name. Yes, the big game. The big like, game. It was like our original working title sports podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. The big game at the end of the season. <laughs> but um, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention one of my least favorite basketball players in Knicks history, oh. uh, Mr. J.R. Smith. Thank oh you boy. Not for reminding me of this because yeah, I this is. Actually, I'm not even a basketball fan, and this is ingrained in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't believe that I forgot about this. But so a little background for me with J.R. Smith. I met him three different times at Madison Square Garden when I was this nerdy little autograph collector carrying around hefty garbage bags of giant cardboard. Yep, I remember those. Trying to get signed. Somehow security let me in with it. It was a different time before COVID. Wow. Um, but I had a J.R. Smith 8x10 smashed on my Carmelo Anthony 16x20 waiting to get him signed. And Carmelo eventually signed for me. JR, I met three times, never signed for me once. Oh, good. Never liked him. Like, I, yeah. I never really would do well, but I was like, eh, really? Like, he's a jerk. But uh, when he went to Cleveland as part of a trade that brought me Lou Amundsen, who I loved, um, he played with LeBron and he won a title. But then he didn't. And before <laughs> seconds left in game one of the finals, and it was the Super Team Warriors. So no one really thought there was any shot. George Hill's on the line, who I actually really like. I think he's one of the most underrated players of the last few years. Um, tied 107-107, and he misses the second one. J.R. Smith rebounds, and instead of putting up the offensive rebound and going for the putback with 4.7, remember it's a tie game, he ran it back to center court to <laughs> run out the clock. <laughs> He either forgot the score, he forgot the clock, and that's the iconic LeBron James scream meme. <laughs> you know, he he thought he was the fan coming on this on the uh, pitch when they won the game. You know, like the band game. Yeah. He was there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's funnier about that picture too. About the two of them was LeBron. Look on LeBron's face as he's pointing at the basket, or look on Jarrett's face of like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah, he had no idea. No clue. And I actually grew to like Jr. Like. Now he's in college. He's playing golf. He's doing his thing. Like, good for him. He's in college. Is what, a 40-year-old? He was just a raging moron. Yeah. I mean, good for him, though. That's yeah. what he wants to do. Yeah, once a Nick, always a Nick. I've I've gone soft in my old age. I don't really you know, hate anybody anymore. Except for Julius Randle. No, I actually don't hate <laughs> Julius Randle. I'm actually – I also want to make this a public forum for a second. Now that you brought that up, thank you. Uh-oh. Um, on behalf of all Knicks fans, I just want to say we are disgusted, embarrassed, and ashamed, <laughs> not at Julius Randle, at the fans who ripped off his poster and started stomping on it. Julius, if you were to somehow ever watch this, on behalf of those guys, they're idiots and we're sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, you had a rough series. You seem like a good guy by all accounts. And I understand this is probably the end here. He will probably be traded. Um I think the way that fans have treated him as a whole, and I'm not completely innocent by any means, is despicable because we've been begging for a star for years. Not only do we have one, we have two. Jalen Brunson's a star. Oh, yeah. Julius Randle has now made two All-NBA teams in three years, and we're treating him like this. 
it's, it's wrong. Joel Embiid looked horrible the other night. Jason had a horrible game the other in game six. Stars have bad games. He's had really rough playoff runs, and I get it. But the way the Knicks fans supported R.J. Barrett during the Cleveland series, R.J. Barrett had a tough year. And he played really well in the Cleveland series. Why? Because everything he did, the, the fans were, R.J. Barrett, no matter what, good or bad, the crowd knew, hey, he need, he needs some confidence boost. We got to pump him up. Randall needed that, and we failed him there. And it's easy to say that, you know, yeah, he's making millions of dollars. He, he should be able to do his thing. And I yes, I agree. But if we want stars to come here, which is what we've wanted for years and why they do the Knicks for clicks with the stars photoshopped in the Knicks jerseys that I can't stand, we got to do better. So it's just glad that you pointed that out because I had to throw that out there. <laughs> Sorry, no, you're, no problem. You're, you're welcome for your soliloquy. Yes. <laughs> so, I yes, Randall, disappointment, but he deserved better than that. So, we'll move back into that as we went off topic. But uh, I also want to point out Leon Lett in Super Bowl 27. He recovered a fumble, starts running down to the end zone. He's about five yards away, and he starts, you know, lowering the ball a little bit, waving it away from himself. And then Don Beebe came hustling uh in order to bat the ball out, he poked the ball out and it went to the back of the end zone for a touchback. So it should have been a fumble recovery for a touchdown turned into no points and a touchback for Buffalo. So that was definitely a game changer. Even though the Cowboys still won, it's definitely one of the bigger blunders in history because he got a little comfortable. I won't say he bragged, but he got a little comfortable a little early <laughs> and luckily it didn't affect the outcome of the game. Um, and my last one, uh, and I'll open it up, is the Rams Saints pass interference call in 2018. This was a ref blunder. Oh, you guys remember oh, this? Yeah. I do remember that one. Not you know it's bad when a rule is changed solely based on a ref's call. Mm-hmm. And it was Nickel Roby Coleman smacked the Saints receiver and no call. Right in front of the ref's face. It was really, really bad look. Um, and it led to two really bad things for the league. Uh, that pass interference challenge thing, which has been a complete disaster when it was in place, uh, because any play has some sort of holding or PI and it's just so hard to police. So now it just adds more time onto the game solely because of this play. And it just becomes such a, you know, open-ended subjective thing where it's almost really hard to overturn, but we're still going to try anyway. Uh, the other thing that it led to was that horrible, horrible Super Bowl that was the Rams <laughs> uh, playing terribly. And that's the iconic, they're kicking a field goal! Ah, uh, yes. Doing? From our friend Joe, who <laughs> lost a lot of money betting the Rams. <laughs> so that was that. Uh, but I just had to point that out uh, between the Rams and the Patriots. And yeah, so those were my blunders. Most of them are play. I think they're all playoff related. And if any of you have any, feel free to share them. I'd love to keep things uh, on theme here since we're never going to talk about the Cubs for like another two, three years at this rate. Um, 2003 NLCS Cubs versus Marlins. Uh, I'll introduce this with no context and then, you know, we'll tell the bigger story later. Well, game six, Cubs are up 3-2. Five outs away from reaching, you know, the World Series and looking to win their first since 1908. Cubs ace, <clears throat> Mark Pryor. Guess who was that bad for this? Yeah, on the Marlins, you know, really young player. I don't know if you guys are going to remember this right off the bat, but we, we definitely... Not Miguel Cabrera, right? Yep, it was Miggy. A 20-year-old Miggy uh, hits a easy routine double play ball to shortstop Alex Gonzalez. Gonzalez ends up booting the ball. And the Marlins would end up scoring eight runs in that inning and eventually complete the comeback and go on to win the World Series against our New York Yankees. Uh, <laughs> so the Cubs were five outs away from, you know, facing the Yankees that year. And maybe we'd be talking about a different number of championships for us. This, uh, this game was the same game as the Steve Bartman incident. It happened two plays earlier. And funny enough, everyone remembers it for that, you know, fan interference. But actually, Alex Gonzalez... Had a chance to put that on the bed and, you know, throw that under the rug. But instead, his name somehow escapes baseball history and everyone remembers Bartman instead. So, love you Cubs fans. 
Fun fact about that Bartman incident, you know, and I was going to talk about this when you kept it the playoffs, you took it away from me and stole my thunder, but now I can bring it up. Oh you know who hits the ball into foul territory? I don't. That led to Moist Salou trying to make the catch. So it's actually a former Met on a former, or sorry, I should say a future Met on a future Met. Moist Salou went to make the catch and then yeah. yelled at Bartman. Luis Castillo hit the fly ball in the foul territory. Wow. Castillo is the reason why I'm a Yankee fan today. Because ah, I yes. grew up a Met fan from seven, eight years old. And then Luis Castillo decided to drop the ball and lost it in the lights when Alex Rodriguez hit a can of corn, quite frankly. And then Mark Teixeira was all of a sudden Speedy Gonzalez and scored from first on an infield fly. Johnny Hustle. So, yeah, he was Johnny Hustle. Shout out Manny Machado. That's another one <laughs> that we could have talked about that just didn't make the cut. But I just thought that that was interesting. I didn't actually realize that Luis Castillo was the one who hit the fly ball. All right, so I got I got one. I think every New York sports fan has heard of this one at some point, especially Mets fans. And you know, even if you weren't alive back then, everybody knows uh, the ground ball to first base, and oh my God, it gets through Buckner's legs behind the bag. <laughs> I think every everybody has has heard of that one, yep. and I mean, you know. It, it's honestly a shame for Buckner that that's the only thing that anyone's ever going to remember his career by because he was a pretty good player. He had an incredible career, low-key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he was a borderline Hall of Famer. He had 289 on his career, had 2,700 hits. Wow. Only made and one the only is, team, but won a batting title. Yeah. And like, he'll only ever be remembered for that play where him yeah. and Mookie Wilson go around touring and signing autographs together. Yeah, rest <laughs> of Buckner, but... Uh, Bill Buckner just makes me think of like guys who the I feel bad that his legacy was tarnished by something that could have been so avoidable team because he really shouldn't have been in that game anyway but we'll cover that as we go in the future too but I'm thinking Bill Buckner Scott Norwood you know guys like that who really just had some unfortunate circumstances who were otherwise pretty good at what they did I had a recent one um, just thought about like uh, keeping it baseball playoff centric. I know the Phillies went on a really you know long run last year, lost in the World Series, but that never would have happened. Um, probably, most likely, they were down three nothing in the first wild card game against the Cardinals. I don't know if you guys remember this. Uh, it's the top of yes. the ninth. Closer comes in for the Cardinals, Helsley or Helmsley. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, Helsley, I believe. He walks three straight, hits Alec Boehm. And the Phils end up scoring six runs in the top of the ninth, all with one out, and end up winning that game. And then they obviously they won game two, but you know they could have Cardinals would have most likely won the series if they won game one because the, all these three game wild card sets they're at one stadium, which is a story for another day. Um, yeah, it's another thing that I have a problem yeah, with. Yeah, but I agree. Um, but Same with October. Yeah, <laughs> but if uh, you know the Cardinals probably won game one, they probably would have won the series. Um, but instead, Phils win this two straight and. That's just one of you know one of the more recent ones I've thought of. So I got I got one uh, little little different than some of the ones we've talked about. This is a hockey one. I don't know if you you guys have heard of this one, but you know in '04 the Flames were playing the Lightning in the playoffs, and you know this was this was a time before you know the video reviews and all and all that. You know you know if, if they thought the puck went in, they could you know they could call the play dead and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't used to do that and the flames ended up scoring a goal that wasn't called on the ice because it like barely crossed the goal line but it you know now now they look back on the videos it was, it was quite clearly in but it was never called a goal on the ice they couldn't go back and review it the flames lost that game in overtime this was game six and then they lost game seven wow they lost the cup because they couldn't go back and review the play <laughs> that's um, awful that's one of the times where a replay does work out. Instant replay yeah. really helps these days, even though it slows everything down. Yep. Any other comments before we go to our main story? If we're talking about the – I really wanted to bring up uh, the A's moving to Oh, the you're Vegas. right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Sorry. But it was really important. I saw some media articles that were like, oh, it's going to revitalize the franchise. It's going to do wonders for them. Um, we got to be really clear here. This owner does not give a crap about the product on the field. Um, moving to Vegas, 
moving to Vegas is not going to make the team better. He will just make more money. Um, when the team is good, the fans come. Like we're talking about, I know they have a bottom third attendance, uh, but you know, 2019, they made the wild card game. They sold out the Oakland Coliseum. That seats, what, like 45, 46,000 people? Like fans are there. The team just has to be good, and the owner wants no part of it. I saw an article the other day. Um, last year, the owner made, I think it was $60 million in profit, and he put out a AAA team on the field. Again, this guy does not care. Um, and, of course, attendance is going to increase marginally because there's going to be a new stadium. There's going to be buzz. There's going to be hype. But this does not do anything to fix the product on the field, and I think people really need to look at that. And I don't even know. I know there's probably nothing the league can do here, but this guy needs to go. Like he just can't keep doing this to this team. I feel terrible for open fans too, man. That sucks. I agree on all counts. The only thing that I think does benefit from moving any team to Las Vegas is it, other than maybe New York and LA, it's the only city in the United States where there's a consistently changing uh, clientele. Sure. People are tour people are going to Vegas for a week and then going away. People come into Vegas and then they leave. And one of the things they're gonna want to do is, hey, we can go to this baseball game, especially in the summer. Yeah. Especially in the spring. So I, I think that definitely has value. I think there should have been teams in Vegas a long, long, long time ago. But I guess they wanted to wait until like gambling started to get a little more legalized and normalized in the United States. Yeah. Vegas Golden Knights Which, are going out there. They're selling out all the time. No, they're great. I'm saying attendance is going to be good, but I saw articles. Oh, it's going to be great for the team. The team's not going to change, you guys. Like, oh no, the team's not going to change at all. It'll be terrible. So let me let me let me me propose this question. I might be kind of stupid, but you know, the National Football League kind of stepped in and forced the Washington team to sell, albeit under quite different circumstances. But what is? Yeah, he did did it on his own power. That's stopping MLB from stepping in and being like, "You're a multi gazillionaire, and you clearly don't really care about this team. Sell it." What you would really need to do that is you would need to have a group of people lining up at the door to buy the team. People want to buy NFL teams all the time. No one's going to want to buy a team that's drawing, sorry, let me find the exact number, 3,407 <laughs> on April 4th. Again, that's because the team Bieber is stupid. is pitching. The team is right, bad. So if, but if they're right. moving to Vegas and they're getting a new stadium. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is this – it might take Ryan a year Reynolds. or so. Uh, he's, all his money is, is going to the Senators, don't worry. Or, or, or Snoop Dogg's <laughs> going to buy him too. I heard he was going to on it. Yeah. That's but, fine, uh, too. Hey, Snoop Dogg actually cared a lot about hockey. I don't know if you know that. I saw He's that. He's a big Kings fan. But, um, yeah. you know, I mean, it might take a few years, but, it, you know, could this be the beginning of the end of, of this guy owning the A's? You know, I'm sure he's going to put a decent amount of money into building the stadium and, and all that. But once he gets his, you know, investment returned, is this going to be the point where he goes, all right, now I can sell the team? Or is the league going to step in and be like, go away? I think that's what might end up happening because once you have an interested buyer, you might have someone willing to overpay him and say, Hey, listen, like you want to, and this happened in the NBA with Robert Sarver too. Robert Sarver had allegations of workplace misconduct also that kind of aided in that, but he was suspended, but they couldn't force him to sell because it wasn't like a Donald Sterling situation where Mm -hmm. players weren't going to play. But Sarver wound up getting a buyer and it was Matt Ishbia. And he was there for 30 seconds and he's like, trade for Kevin Durant. And things changed quickly. Yeah. So I think that's really, you just need to make the team more marketable. The Suns were a marketable team because number one, they're in Arizona. And number two, they just got better within the last couple of years. All of a sudden they have Devin Booker, who's getting the names in the rap songs, who was dating Kendall Jenner. They had Chris Paul, who's been around for Yeah, but basketball's different because two guys can make a whole team. Yeah. Yes, but once you're in Vegas, people are going to want to buy it. I really hope so. No matter how bad the team is, kind of like the Knicks. Like Even when we were at our worst, people were selling out. Like And yes, part of it is that we're a dedicated fan base, not to toot our own horn. But tourists want to go. I feel bad going for the small Vegas, market teams, though. I feel bad for their fans. All open. Yeah. they got no sports teams left now. But Vegas makes the athletics cool. 
they're not good, but they're cool. Sure, I get, I get what well, you're saying. And that can help the brand, which can then help lead to a new owner, which can then help the team. And also, being in a bigger city can add media presence, which might put more pressure on him. That's what they need to. to either sell or to actually spend some money. Yeah. So I think there is benefits. Sure. I, I, I think they're better off in Vegas. And yes, it's sad for the for the fans in Oakland. But eventually, if there's a market, just like they're still talking about Montreal, there might be a market there. Who knows? I mean, there's definitely a market in Vegas. The question is, yeah, are they going to build an indoor stadium or an outdoor stadium? Got to be indoor, I think, right? Well, is he willing to spend the money on that? And and that's and a good question. I say, is he is who's funding the stadium? Is is the city of Las Vegas funding the stadium, or is he putting up his own money? I saw something. I think Passon tweeted the city is supposed to be funding it, but they don't have the funds right now, so the the deal is on on hold. Something like that. <laughs> so 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 <laughs> the A's are just are just yeah. screwed, and we're just going to be they're screwed. They are you know, screwed. They'll oh, just be a fifty one so team for the foreseeable future. How about we just disband the whole team altogether, play to the 29, move a team back to Montreal, start fresh. And yeah, I mean, you could probably take a college team and yeah. they'd fit in. You know, we were talking about the other day, um, someone sent me a tweet. I think it was Nashville. It could be a decent market. Yeah, Nashville they've been talking about as one, yeah. They already got a hockey team, so. Nashville, I know they were talking about. There was a couple others that I saw. We saw Orlando, but that didn't make sense to me because Florida's already. Florida got already it. doesn't draw. I heard Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah. Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I think Nashville's probably the best one out of those. See, I think Louisville's perfect because you can call a team the Louisville Sluggers. <laughs> I think that's an easy <laughs> brand. <laughs> I think it's just too easy. Like, how do you not do that? Yeah. Well, it's been almost a hundred years, so and I haven't done it yet, so. Yeah, it falls on Martin. No one thought of that. Like, there has to be a market over there. All right, moving forward to Mr. Max Scherzer. Now, let me preface this by saying Max Scherzer is my favorite pitcher in baseball. Even though I'm a Yankee fan, I, I was very happy when he signed here because it meant I could see him play more often. I always tried to go and see him whenever he was in town. Um, and you guys know how I feel about the stories. I've talked about it several times on the pod. I don't care. And when it comes to the cheating, I don't care. So my question here really, because obviously Scherzer is really the first big name player to get ejected and suspended for using uh, the substances on his hand or on his glove. Um, I know that there was some controversy surrounding the whether or not the umpires might have wrongfully thrown him out. Um I don't really believe that, but I was wondering your thoughts on that first before I move forward. I, I think Zach uh, should go first because I'm going to say some oh stuff. Oh, boy. Okay. I think it was a little dumb to throw him out, but I also think he's got to be a little smarter. If the rules – I know everyone was talking about the rules were saying he had to use the rods, and that was on the pitcher's mound. And I don't know. I know there's been like some talk that pitchers use rods in the dugout. Um but I guess he just got to follow the rules and not be an idiot. But I know he also – his post, uh, post-game post interview is pretty telling. But, yeah, go ahead, Sherm. All right, so I got a, I got a, I got a lot to say on this one. So, uh, first of all, um, the league needs to look into the fact because we got another Angel Hernandez situation on our hands because the only players that have ever been ejected for Rosin has been ejected by the exact same umpire. So this guy clearly that's has right. an issue with something that's going on. Um, you know, the second thing here I see – is that there is apparently a rule that I didn't know existed, and you just said it, that you're only allowed to use Narazin on the mount. Well, I'm pretty sure it's pretty well known that a lot of guys are using Narazin in the dugout to get ready before they go out there because they're given so little time between innings that they want to get all rosined up before they go out there and start throwing their warm-ups, which makes sense. That's something the league should, again, think about if they're trying to speed up the game let the guy use the damn rosin in the dugout so he's not wasting his time on the mound. But at the same time, not a month before this happened with Scherzer, Herman was using rosin in the dugout for the Yankees and was told by the umpire to wash his hands before the next inning because he thought his hands were too sticky. And Herman washed his hands. They watched him do it. He reapplied the rosin. He went out the next inning, and they found sticky stuff on his hands. And they didn't eject him. But they ejected Scherzer, one of the greatest pitchers in baseball, because this guy, this umpire, has a god complex. <laughs> now, 
on, on the same topic, uh, on the same topic, I saw oh, a boy. video not that long ago that everybody's favorite pitcher, Trevor Bauer, did. And he hey. just sat there showing a baseball, showing the grip on the ball with nothing on his hands. Then he took the rosin, quick, you know, bounced up in his hand, got a little on his hands, rubbed some sweat in his arm, rubbed the sweat in his hair, and then showed him picking up the ball with just rosin and sweat, and it stuck to his hand like freaking spider tack. How are these umpires supposed to know what these guys are using? It's ridiculous. Right. You either let the guys use sticky stuff or don't let them use it at all. Don't play this game with the rosin. You're creating a problem, and you just threw out one of the best players in baseball and suspended him. Now you're going to taint this guy's career because you're an idiot? I mean, this is bad. This is such a bad – you know, you can say it's a bad look on Scherzer. This is a worse look on the league because it is, again, a judgment call. And we know from balls and strikes, these umpires are freaking stupid. You cannot <laughs> let this go on. It's just bad. It's it's so bad. All right. I hate that I have to disagree with you here because, like I said, I love Max Scherzer. But here's my problem with it. These umpires, how many games do umpires call a season? No idea. Over 100, we'd say? Yeah. Okay. So these umpires are calling over 100 games. I understand. I believe his name is Phil Cuzzy. Yep. Has been the only umpire to throw out um, people who have had the sticky substances on their hands. But this has been going on for over two years now. So he's been in, let's say conservatively, he's been in 150 games. I'm sure we could look it up, but let's just say ballpark number, about 150 games. We agree on that, right? Yeah. Yep. He's thrown out three. Not a very high percentage. doesn't mean he's always the guy doing the checking role. Right. So how do we know that he isn't the only one who's actually following the demands of his supervisors and everyone else is kind of letting it go by the wayside? How do we know that? Scherzer's been in the league after the 15 game, years. He said, I've never seen, after the game, he said, I have never seen anything like that. Meaning he's he's felt up 300 pitchers' hands, at least. That's assuming <laughs> each pitcher goes nine in the 150 games that he's called. You're telling me that he just chose to pick on Max Scherzer? Yes. Why does the – and listen, I love Max Scherzer, and I really don't think sticky stuff is that big of a problem. Like – Take it, play with it. I don't see why it should be banned got, in the first place. Who got place, ejected a few they, years they, ago? They didn't Bumgarner got ejected because the umpire was looking into his freaking eyes while touching his hands, and yes. Bumgarner took exception yeah, to he, it? Because one, all you need is one guy, yeah. one umpire that decides he's having a bad day and wants to start shit. It's that easy. And, and to me, that's what it looks like. Scherzer's been in the league 16 years. He said like two weeks before this happened that guys using sticky stuff is dumb. Why would he just magically yeah, decide to go use sticky stuff? In the league 16 years I, I don't get it. He cheated. Gaylord Perry was in the league 20 years. He used Vaseline. Like it's just because you're in the league for a long time, you have experience, and you're a great elite pitcher, doesn't mean that you're not going to cheat. I So the other thing is that Mac, we're all talking about Max Scherzer's press conference. He's saying, it's rosin, it's rosin, it's rosin. I swear on my kid's life. What What is he going to say? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, you're right. He's like, I, I'm sorry. Like, I – this when when it looks like baloney and it smells like baloney, it ain't chicken. That's what <laughs> it comes down to. MLB upheld it after investigation. They kept the suspension for ten games, and listen, that might have been because they were required to after the umpires' rule. It if it's really that big of a con- if it's really it where the MLB doesn't believe the umpires, they'll no, change it's automatic. the rule. It's automatic. You get thrown out to ten game suspension. If you get thrown out because they determine it's from a foreign but substance. But how do you determine it's a foreign they substance? They could have said they ejected him for arguing. They but how didn't. do you determine it's a foreign substance? Unless you guys are going to go out there and test the guy's hand to figure out what exactly is on his hand, how are you determining it's a foreign substance? If the league is allowing you to use That's some sticky That's stuff, how are you determining what's what's not sticky? It's not what's like these guys are taking not, drug yeah. tests like they're peeing in a cup and some drugs are legal and some aren't. Yeah. You got the Robinson Cano situation. I didn't know I was using something yeah. illegal. But again, I'm definitely I don't want to be the first to be standing up for umpires, and I really don't want to be the type to be going against Max Scherzer. But I do think that there was something I here. I find it very hard to believe that an umpire decided to go on a witch hunt against a legend when he's probably called Max Scherzer games before. And is not and if there was a previous issue between Phil Cuzzy and Max Scherzer, 
believe me, it would have been all over social media when this. I one think the happened. problem here is that something was most likely said after the Herman incident. So these guys yeah. were on the lookout right, for this yeah. stuff. And instead of telling this guy that's been in the league 16 years, a superstar World Series champion, hey, what is this shit on your hand? He just threw him out again. When he was doing nothing illegal. I stand by that. Yeah, I get that. I also think, uh, to your point, Sherm, they got to be clear on what rosin you can use. And the rules got to change. Uh, as you're saying, they have less time to warm up now. So they got to compensate for that at some point, well, I, right? I, so the league has to change I, I think rules. you should either be allowed to use rosin. You should either be allowed to use sticky stuff or you're not allowed to use sticky stuff. You can't play this game of, well, it's too sticky and you're only allowed to use this mm-hmm. and at this time. You're either allowed to use it or you're not allowed to use it. Because I'm fine with that. Just not. How about we ban rosin? Uh, that's what I would sure. do. That's fine. I mean, at, you know, at some it's point, fine. we all knew that something stupid or like this was going to happen, where they were going to determine this guy has too much rosin. Well, what's too much rosin? Because one yeah. guy thinks it's, it's too much arbitrary. rosin is not what another guy thinks is too much rosin. Maybe Phil Cuzzy just thinks that you put a little bit of sticky stuff on your hands, illegal. It's not like another umpire came well, over and started touching his hand. It's not like another umpire came over and started touching his hand and and they had a discussion about it because he just threw him out of the game. Yep. But you're telling me none of these other umpires have ever caught a guy with sticky stuff? Well, they caught Herman and they let him go wash his hands off. People are turning blind eyes. They're happy. I mean, they caught Herman and they let him go wash his hands off. They told us specifically go wash your hands. So why didn't Scherzer get the benefit of the doubt? Scherzer did get the benefit of the doubt. They told him to wash his hands with alcohol. Right in front of him. And then applied the rosin right in front of him. And then they said this is illegal. And they said this is illegal. Why? Because he uses it better than other people? <laughs> because he knows how to use it properly with sweat and rosin, like they're allowed to do so. I just think, as a whole, we've fallen into this trap too many times with the boy who cried wolf. Ryan Braun sued a guy and got, I believe, he got him fired because he claimed that he had the wrong urine sample. Oh, God. Alex Rodriguez threatened to sue the league on Mike Francesa. David Ortiz did a whole press conference trying to clear his name, and then Rob Manfred actually did clear his well, name. Well, yeah. I mean, to me, again, you're... you're oh, Palmero stood up in front of Congress, you know, and denied any wrongdoing. Mark McGuire said, you know, I pled the fifth. All of these guys... Sammy Sosa pretended like he didn't even know English. <laughs> All of these guys were found to later have cheated in some way. I, I, I just, I, I just don't believe that Scherzer is cheating. The they do. I just don't believe he's cheating. I don't care if he I mean, cheated. I you really know, he made don't. unsolicited remarks not that long ago that he thinks using sticky stuff is stupid. Interesting. Yeah, and there are plenty of anti-steroid players. They who still did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 that holds no water to me. I still think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I still think he's a legendary pitcher. I, I have. I did not lose any speck of respect for him, but I do think he probably did that. That's just my. I, I think, you know, you can say he was using something, but I, I don't. Scherzer is not an idiot. He's not gonna go be told to wash his hands off and then put the same shit exactly. back on. If he was thrown out without being told to wash his hands. Yes, I would have some sort of agreement with you, but, you know, this guy never had, you know, the greatest, you know, he's not, he's not throwing 105 miles an hour. He doesn't have the greatest breaking ball. Scherzer is a smart pitcher. He is one of the smartest pitchers but in the game. But he also did have high spin rates that went down at the time when they cracked down on spider tech. Well, everybody was using it. So he learned how to use rosin because he uses rosin better than other guys. And the league is determining this is too much rosin. If you're putting such an arbitrary statement as too much rosin, we already know umpires can't call balls and strikes. Now you're going to give them something else to police? I mean, you're yes, I, your I, own agree with, I agree with the flaw in the rule. I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm disagreeing with the fact is that I do believe that there was something there. I don't think there was anything there other than rosin. But the league created a stupid, arbitrary judgment. To cover themselves? Maybe. It's valid. I, I mean, yeah, I'm not what saying the league say not, about this? I mean, I said nothing other than that we found too much rosin on his head. Yeah, we could sit and talk all day about this. And that will wrap up 
our 1908 installment of Championship or Bust. Thank you for listening, not watching, listening. And make sure that you follow us on Twitter at the COB Podcast. And we will be right back at you soon with 1909. See you guys later. Thank you for listening. Well, as Fred Merkel once said, probably, oh no, the whole world just saw my boner. What's up, everybody? No, I can't do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. I can't do it.